It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 28 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. As Sam Vokes won a penalty by handballing in the opposition's penalty area. Tyro Ming stamped on Zlatan. Zlatan elbowed him in the face, got pushed. Only the latter got sent off. Refereeing controversy. I mean, what would we talk about without it? Oh yeah, I guess Man United's unmatched ability to create chances, even earn a penalty and still not finish them and their opponents off. We'll also be looking ahead to important games against Rostov of Russia in the Europa League and Chelsea in the FA Cup quarterfinal as well as giving you our regular extensive youth and low roundup as United's under-18s qualify for Group 1 of the Under-18 Premier League. Um, AFC Bournemouth then, the, the team who have conceded 52 goals this season, only less than Swansea and Hull, somehow were made to look like a, a good defence by United in that second half. Our, our worst home draws this season have been against Stoke, Burnley, Hull and Bournemouth. Stoke have conceded an average of 1.5 goals a game, Burnley 1.5, Hull 2, Bournemouth 2. We scored one against Stoke, none against Burnley or Hull, and one against Bournemouth. I mean, that's below average for all of them, and we're United and they're, and they're relegation candidates. So what makes it worse, we've had 98 shots in those four games, so 25 a game roughly, but scored twice. Jack? <laughs> Not really much more to add to that, really. Ridiculous, yet again, that we're still having this conversation about how many chances we can create, and seem to have a chronic inability to actually hit the back of the net. This game maybe wasn't quite so bad in, in the sense that we created so many chances. I think we were just generally so much worse than we were in those other games. But even so, the fact that we can't put these kind of teams away is so, so frustrating. And even though we didn't play as well this time, we had, we had a penalty that we should have scored. Pogba had two great chances late on. This was yet another game at home against a, a lower side who are prone to conceding goals that we had so many chances to win and for whatever reason, we just can't seem to put them away. It was so frustrating to, to see the, the way that the game went. As soon as, as you saw the penalty miss, you knew we, were gonna, we weren't going to win that game. You could see the pattern of the game, the way it was evolving. And there was 
just no, I had no faith after, after we missed that penalty. I just had absolutely no thought that we were going to win that game because it was come before this. Yeah, and it, it's, it's quite strange because we've been saying recently that under Mourinho, we, we have that confidence to, to get that late goal, unlike under Van Gaal, unlike under Moyes. Yes, we had a lot of shots in that game as well, but we, we were certainly not the, the force we were against Burnley. Burnley, you came away genuinely shocked. Honestly stunned by the fact that we hadn't scored. Against Bournemouth, I I mean, taking away the first opening stages, it was it was a terrible performance. Against a ten man Bournemouth. An awful defence, as as I've just mentioned. And what worries me is that this is the consequence of, of Mourinho choosing to sit back once we take the lead. And it's happened quite a lot. He's he's chosen that tactic a lot. I mean it's not a surprise, is it? But we've managed to survive that tactic on most occasions. It's actually it's worked in mo- in most cases. But this time we didn't. And I don't know. I mean, saying that we still had 45 minutes to take the lead again, but we had huge amounts of momentum at 1-0. Could have made it three before Bournemouth had, had recovered, but we took our foot off the gas. What looked like deliberately as well. I, I, mean, I think that's the most worrying thing for me, bar the, the innate ability to not be able to finish chances. Yeah, I really don't, I didn't really understand why we, we seemed to sit back after going 1-0 up. They said it is a tactic Mourinho has used before uh, a number of his previous sides, but I mean, a few things, A, without meaning to be disrespectful to Bournemouth, they aren't exactly the kind of side that you think that once you go 1-0 up, you should just try and hold on for the rest of the game. They're the kind of team that once you go 1-0 up, you should be looking to kill off and be scoring 3 or 4 and really kill the game off before half-time. And also, the teams where Mourinho has been successful with employing that tactic, um, you, th- you think about some of his Chelsea teams in the past, they've all been brilliant defensively and Right now, we aren't brilliant defensively. We've definitely improved as the season's gone on. Um, but we don't have... Defensively, we don't have the, the quality, I don't think, to, to hold out against most, most sides in the Premier League if we just try and sit back for, for 70, 80 minutes. And we, that got proved right against Bournemouth. Um, I mean, it just it seemed very, very strange that going 1-0 up against a team like Bournemouth, who, whose defence is shaky at best... Having gone one 0 up and playing in the kind of form that we're in, that, you know, we on this episode last week we were saying how good form we're in, that we couldn't see us losing this game, um, everything was going in the right direction at the club, and suddenly we we employ a tactic that's like a club who's who's on who's going down, who's trying to survive, who would just be happy to escape with a one 0 win, and that's not the kind of mentality that we should be employing in the game. So I was very shocked to see us sit back. Um, but, it, and it, but even with that tactic, I mean, we then had, like you said, another 45 minutes in which we should have been able to score against the 10-man Bournemouth team. And it was, I think in some ways, this was more frustrating than some of the performance, the better performances we've had, like you said, against Burnley, because we genuinely just did not play well. Uh, and another worrying thing was the substitutions. And that's... That, that's annoying to say because we, after initially having some bad substitutions on the Marino, a couple of months, last couple of months have, have been really good game-changing substitutions. It wasn't the case on Saturday. We wasted 10 minutes using Fellaini as a deep midfielder floating balls over top. If you're going to have to use Fellaini, he should be on the end of those balls. Breon Fellaini to play deep should, should never be an option for any club, let, let alone Man United. And Marino eventually realised that and shifted him up top alongside Zlatan as a second striker, but it was too late really. I mean, that's a worry for me. It, it, it was a combination of, of huge amounts of errors. It was Zlatan playing poorly. We'll move on to him in a bit. 
Uh, Pogba playing poorly. Most, um, I mean, most of the team playing poorly. But defensive errors. Phil Jones' his tackle was was clumsy, um, stupid at, at best, really, um, and needless. Um, the substitutions were bad. Our main players were playing poorly. Um, we couldn't capitalize on a weak defense. I mean, I mean, you say you say no disrespect to Bournemouth. Like you could be fully respecting to Bournemouth and still criticize their defense because. They know their defence is awful. I mean, even that their manager and their players have commented about how bad their defence is. It's one of the worst in the league. Uh, th- third worst in the league at the moment. Um, seven draws at home. We've added 19 shots a game and scored just 0.7 goals on average. We've dropped 14 points because of that. We'll look back on this season. I mean, it might change if, if we do win the Mickey Mouse treble, but if, we'll look back on this season as, as a season of draws at the moment. And it's, it's those kind of games that actually have such a big bearing on the season. We all talk about you know, the, the top six mini-league and having to play well in big games. But it's inevitable throughout a season that every team is going to drop points against the big teams. And in some ways, what ends up what ends up defining how well you place within that top six is actually how few points you can manage to drop against the other 14 teams in the league. And I saw a great stat a while ago that um, something like Chelsea, this, this was a couple of months ago, but Chelsea had dropped two points against teams from outside the top six so far in the season. And that's a ridiculous stat. And it's, and that is what is what's keeping them away from the rest. Every team within the top six is going to lose to some others in the top six throughout the season. It's just going to happen in big games like that. But what you have to do is you have to be able to kill off games against the smaller sides. Because if you can win all those games, nick a few points off the top six, then your season's going to be in good shape. Look, you take 14 points that we've dropped at home against sides that we should have comfortably beaten. That would put us right on the heels of Chelsea. But that just takes above Chelsea. It could well take us above Chelsea. I mean, if if you look at it, Mourinho said this himself. Mourinho knows that if we hadn't dropped these points at home, we would be first or second in the Premier League. And that's stunning because we've been pretty bad this season. Yeah, 14 points would take us level with Chelsea. So, so 14 points would take us level with Chelsea. That's, I mean, all right. So, so say that we, we draw three games at home, which is, is, is bad enough in itself. We draw three games at home, we would be three points off Chelsea. The, the team who are supposedly running away with the title. Mourinho hasn't found a fix yet. And uh, another thing that worried me was Sir Alex Ferguson always used to say panic with 15 minutes to go. Once you get to 15 minutes to go and you're losing or you're drawing, you know you need to start panicking and start sort of changing your tactics, not do the same. He said before before 75 minutes, you played as you usually did, whatever the score. You could be 4-0 down, you play as you usually did. But we panicked with 45 minutes to go. Pop was the main culprit of that. And, and yes, of course, he was terrible. And I just want to say that first, but I, I try to, to challenge some people on this because does he need to improve? Yes, obviously. I mean, I mean that was far from good enough. That was beyond poor. It was terrible. But, but what kind of blind imbecile would want Pogba to be dropped? Okay, so he had one of his worst games against Bournemouth, probably, probably only better than that Liverpool one in January, which was atrocious. But if we take him out of the side, the, the huge amount of chances that Zlatan and others are missing will disappear. He had a bad game against Bournemouth and still made four big chances. I mean, I mean, come on. People must be watching a different game to me if they want Pogba to be dropped. It seems like every time we, we have a bad performance, Pogba becomes the scapegoat just because it's so easy to pick on him because of the price tag and because there seems to be this, this myth going around that he's having a poor season. And, and quite frankly, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how it's true. Like you said, it, it, Ibrahimovic has missed his fair share of chances this season. But we wouldn't even have those chances if Pogba wasn't in the team. He has created a ridiculous amount of chances for Ibrahimovic and others this season. 
And if we got rid of him in the team, we would lack serious, serious creativity. I think part of the reason why people, for whatever reason, aren't appreciating the work that Pogba's putting in is simply because of the price tag. People people want him for £89 million sign to be scoring a hat-trick every week and making three goal-saving tackles every week as well. It's like people need to get some realistic expectations. Because um, where, I'm, where I'm sitting, Pogba has been one of our best players this season. And it's probably one of very few people that I would say at the moment is undroppable. I'm not, I'm not saying he's undroppable because of, because of his status. It's because he's actually very important to our team. And we're going to talk about Zlatan and whether he is undroppable because he's facing a, a three-game suspension for that elbow, as we'll move on to in a second. But Pogba, I think, is, is genuinely undroppable because there's no replacement for him. And fine, you can take him off if he's having a poor game. So Ander Herrera was an option on the bench. I'm not sure why he didn't come on instead of Marouane Fellaini. But Pogba should be starting every game. And I think part of the reason everyone expects him to, to be scoring a hat-trick and everything is because previously the, the, the big signings have been Cristiano Ronaldo. That's, that's the most recent one. Griezmann in the future, we hope, will be an attacker, a goal scorer. And even if you look at the, the deeper players who have cost a lot, someone like Kaká, when Real Madrid signed him for, what was it, 50 or 60 million, he was a central attacking midfielder, someone who had traditionally scored goals throughout his career and, and made direct assists. But we've never had a midfielder this expensive. Even the best midfielders in the world have been Luka Modric was about 35 million for Real Madrid. I think even less than that, an absolute bargain. All the midfielders, the best midfielders, have been cheap or cheaper. So people just aren't used to... to they, people don't know what to expect from Pogba because he's so expensive, but he's a midfielder. Right, let's move on to, on to, on to refereeing. Between getting stamped on, elbowing someone and missing a penalty, it was, it was all about Ibrahimovic, wasn't it? Um, but, I mean, start, starting off an appalling weekend of refereeing just in general, that Sam Vokes decision was, was laughable, to be honest. Um, <laughs> honestly, the, arguably the worst refereeing decision I've, I've seen in my life. But it's boring just talking about that. Although we we could talk all day about about video technology and ways to make it to make it easier for the referees and, and better for for the, for the viewer. But the incident's more interesting. Firstly, j- just to start off, both both players should have been set off, obviously. And I think Tyra Mings had complete intent in in stamping on Zlatan. Not going to do why because it's much easier to show with video and. and in the medium of podcast, we do not have that. Secondly, so should Harry Arthur should have been sent off, I think, for a second book of World Offence in that second half, but but wasn't. Um, I think the referee had, had something on his mind there when he didn't send him off. And thirdly, and most importantly, um, do, do I condone what Zlatan did? No, obviously not. Um, partic- particularly as a coach myself, I would not <laughs> I'd be far from happy if one of my players did that. But, but, but would I really condemn it? No, I mean, I cannot imagine what kind of person except, I don't know, Nelson Mandela or, or Mahatma Gandhi would, would not react aggressively to being stamped on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the referee kind of made that situation worse for himself because he didn't see the time being stamped. Um, and, and like you said, I have no doubt that, that the stamp was, was deliberate. That's how he reacted in the wrong way. Um, I can understand why he reacted like that, but obviously, as you said, both deserve to get sent off. Um, I think just all round there was a lot of a lot of poor refereeing in that game. Um, I, I agree that Harry Arthur should have been sent off. Um, one of the only two decisions that the referee did get right were the two penalty decisions. Um, but I mean, the, the Zlatan Ibrahimovic incident is it, it it was a stupid reaction. I can understand why he did it. 
Um, they've now just, before we start recording, they've both been charged with violent conduct by the FA. It looks like Tyrone Mings may end up with a longer ban than Ibrahimovic. Um, but, I mean, probably justice in the end, but both should have been sent off during the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking, looking at as a United fan and just at Zlatan, I mean, it's, it's, to be honest, I said it's more, the incident is more interesting, but that itself is quite boring. It's been talked about a lot. Did Mings mean it? Yes, I think so. Maybe you don't, whatever. But professionally, Zlatan, Zlatan is an idiot. Um, a three-game ban, likely, as we, as we had approached an, an FA Cup quarterfinal against the champions-elect. But on the other hand, I'd, I think I'd genuinely find it concerning if after someone had stamped on his head, he'd not have retaliated. Because, I mean, to be honest, the, the competitive nature that we see in Zlatan, I, I would think something was, was wrong if he hadn't reacted in the way he did, to be honest. I think there's better ways of doing it, obviously, but I, I would have found it very strange had he not done what he did do, or or something similar. Yeah, I think it's part of his personality that we've all that we all we all know, and at least Man United fans certainly love. It's just part of who he is. He's he's definitely a maverick character that won't take anyone doing that to him without getting something back at them. As soon as we saw the Bournemouth players' reaction and then saw the replay, we all knew it was retaliation for the, for the Ming stamp. Um, yeah, I mean. I'm, I'm not going to say that I, I do condemn what he did because he shouldn't have reacted like that but I can under, I can understand his thinking of why he did it and at the end of the day we know that that's what Ibrahimovic is like we, we should expect that from him when someone does something to him we should expect that he's going to react like that um, but it still doesn't it still doesn't make what he did right and it still doesn't mean they shouldn't have been sent off yeah right I've, uh, I mean we disagree on condemning it or not but I, I, I just find it hard to condemn something like that because I can't imagine in the moment having just been stamped on and had your sort of your head sort of flop back off the floor. I mean that could have I mean he only clipped his ear, but that that could have been seriously much worse. Studs going into your head. I mean I, I don't know about you, but I would have preferred Zlatan to score that penalty and have that as his revenge. Yeah, I mean I mean it, it's a that would be a nice way, but I mean is that a realistic way in football? Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand why he did it. I just think Especially for a player of that type of quality, I think he he should have been he should have been big enough. He's been around long enough to know that he shouldn't really be doing that. And he it, the the best way to get his revenge would have been to score the winning goal. Uh, that that's what I think anyway. That that would have been the best revenge. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't didn't work out that way. Uh, yeah, but so so we expect that three match ban for Zlatan, perhaps more for Tyra Mings. Um, the, the the question then is is can we cope without Zlatan? But the question I'm putting is can we be better without Zlatan? Now, I, I, I'm not going to be an idiot and say he's not been incredible and brilliant and, and vital. Um, he scored, I think he scored a huge percent of our goals. I can't remember the exact number, but it's more, it's, it's a higher percentage for for us than for any other striker for their team, except I think Lukaku and uh, one other player. I can't remember who it was and one other team. But at the same time, this season he's missed 16 big chances. Easily the most out of anyone in the league by 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 nine, I think. Can can we be more dynamic, more fluid with a player making more runs like Rashford, stretching the defence more? I mean, perhaps if if we impress using a striker like Rashford or Martial, we may see Mourinho using a two striker formation in future with Zlatan much deeper, sort of as an attacking midfielder as he often plays anyway, and allowing Rashford or Martial to stretch the defence. I think I think that's an an ideal situation, but the problem is a lot of teams that we play kind of set up in quite a deep block and then players like Rashford and Martial aren't able to really affect the game in the way that they want to. 
Ibrahimovic has missed a lot of opportunities this season, but you have to wonder how how many chances he creates because of the way he drops deep and, and creates space for himself. But this is certainly an opportunity now for whoever does get that nod up front, be it Rashford, be it Martial. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how we do play against him because it's been, it's been so long since we've played a game without Ibrahimovic up front for a large majority of it. Even in the, in the Europa League recently, Ibrahimovic has been playing and playing for the majority of the game. So I'm, I'm actually going to be really interested to see how we set up. I think one thing that it, it might do is it, it might just it might help us gain a little bit more control of the midfield because it might be a bit less compact. Like you said, Ibrahimovic often drops deep, effectively plays as a number 10 at times. So hopefully it will give those midfielders a little bit more space, a little bit more freedom to, to play as they like. But I think it, the way that how effective someone like Rational Marcio up front will be will be very dependent on the way that the opponent's set up. So it depends what Rostov and then Chelsea do, I guess. But in in terms of in terms of his importance, we can't we can't say that he's not vital because he's he's no, no other player in the United side has, has managed more than seven league goals. But Zlatan has more league minutes. I think he has more more minutes in all competitions than any other Premier League player, and more minutes in the Premier League than any other United player. And so, is it is it not really expected that he's going to be our top scorer by a very long way? Considering Rashford and Martial have started. Very few games have, when they have started, been played on the left wing or the right wing. Um, and he's got a goal every 150 minutes, which is behind Kane, Costa, uh, Alexis Sanchez and Lukaku. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I definitely think we, it's been brushed over a little bit how many chances he's actually missed this season. But at the end of the day, I think he, he's a big reason why a lot of those chances are being created. Um, but we'll see. I think, I think Martial and Rashford do deserve their chances. Ibrahimovic has played in pretty much all competitions almost every single week. And th- therefore, as you said, no one else has really had the chance to rival him for the, the, the top goal scorer position, I guess. So I think it'll be, it'll be good to see them play up front. We haven't seen Rashford really play up front in, from the start of a game in a long time. The same with Martial. It's where we think both of them may eventually end up. Um, so I'm definitely going to be interested to see. I think Ibrahimovic is, is vital, though. And I think one thing that we may seeing it is actually that we miss his leadership on the pitch because we don't have many experienced players outside of him maybe Michael Carrick maybe Wayne Rooney if they play that have that experience that leadership on the pitch we may miss that aspect of it but I'm excited to see Rashford and or Martial uh, have a shot up front in the next few games yeah I, I think I think it's an important point that you raise about about that his passes have made a lot of the a lot of those goals and a lot of those chances that he has missed but in terms of s- simply just goals as, as I said, we expect it because he's he scored. He's played many more minutes. And, and yes, he's often been vital. I think he's won eight matches for us or something. Or I think he's won us something like 14 points with his match-defining goals. The, the, the equaliser or the winner, um, as, as the stats people define it. But if you're, if you're looking at the quality of Rashford and Martial and how few chances they've been given, if you think under Van Gaal, you had Rashford getting eight goals in 18 games. Martial... What, how many did Martial get? 17 goals in all competitions, I think. Can't remember quite, but under Van Gaal, I mean, think, think, think how few chances we created under Van Gaal. We, had fifth, we were the 15th team in the league for shots on goal. And this season, we're second behind, behind Spurs, I think. I mean, if Rashford's scoring 8-18 last season in that, in that rubbish side, who created probably five or six chances max a match, and Martial scored 17 in a side that didn't play attacking football, surely it's not, it's not beyond 
the realms of belief that they could score the same amount as Zlatan in, in this team. All, all I'm saying is, I'm, I'm not trying to down down uh, downplay Zlatan's importance to the side and how good he's been because he's been insane and I've called him one of our best signings ever. And I, I'm I'm not going against that. I'm just saying Mourinho should have rotated more and hopefully now he will do and see that Rashford and Martial have the ability to do what Zlatan has been doing. Maybe not quite. And obviously they don't have the off the off the pitch influence that Zlatan's been having with the mentality and stuff. But I, ju- I just mean that Mourinho should consider his other two strikers a bit more. Uh, now we we must move on. We've had quite a long time on that game and Zlatan. We've got a lot more to fit in. We've got a youth roundup in just a second. Plus, previewing Rostov, Chelsea, and a couple of questions from you. Uh, the under 18s played their final game of the under 18 Premier League North Division. A 2 0 win against Stoke with goals from Josh Bohui straight after halftime. A DJ Buffon with 10 minutes remaining. Bohui actually missed a penalty in the 18th minute, while Stoke's Jordan Greenidge did the same in the second half. United's win confirmed their place as second in the under 18 Premier League North Division. Liverpool was third behind us in goal difference of about, about 15 less goals scored. And we finished nine points behind Man City, thanks to a, a relatively poor start from us before our new signings joined. The under-18 Premier League starts, um, as, as you may have picked up, with a North Division and a South Division, and then joins for national groups. There's three groups based on positions in the North and South Divisions. Top four of each join to make an eight-team Group 1, middle four for Group 2, and bottom two fours make Group 3. United were in that bottom Group uh, 3 last season, and this year having finished second, we're in Group 1, where we usually are, in years previously. In that group one, uh, each team plays each other once, home or away, luck of the draw, and whoever wins that group are national champions. It should be a, a good fight between United, City, Chelsea, and maybe Liverpool as well. The other teams in this group are Blackburn, Arsenal, West Ham, and Reading. Now, the under-23s play Sunderland away in Premier League 2 as we record this. Uh, you can check our Twitter or at Academy Man UTD for the result of that. And in other youth news, Ethan Hamilton has been called up by Scotland's under-19 squad for the elite qualifying round of the Euros. At under-17 level, uh, 16-year-old trialist Martin Murko played in a 5-0 win for United against uh, Tuthini, a Swiss side, earlier in the week. He's previously been on trial at City. And we've signed 14-year-old Levant Gundogan. Uh, finally signed a Gundogan, just just not the one that we wanted. Um, but we did want this one. He impressed United coaches after scoring four in a 4-4 draw against the United side and was given a six-week trial and did enough to sign for the club now. So another new signing at youth level. In low news, Adnan Yanazai played one of his better games for Sunderland against Man City on Sunday. Uh, he showed some brilliance, some brilliant close control in dribbling, but his decision-making is still lacking. Sam Johnston started for Aston Villa against Rotherham United as he enters better form, was recently praised by manager Steve Bruce. And Andreas Pereira had one of his less good games for Granada, taken off after 70 minutes after having very little impact in a 1-0 loss to Lechanes. Right, so he faced Rostov on Thursday night in the Europa League. Who are they? Well, um, that's, that's what I was asking, so I thought I'd, I'd do a bit of research. Claims to fame... Juventus spanked them 9-1 in the Intertoto Cup. Um, but since then, that was I think that was in 1999, since then they've been renamed, won their first trophy, the Russian Cup, a few years ago and were mentioned in English football briefly when David Bentley joined them on loan from Spurs in 2012. But now they present quite a tough challenge, I think. Bit of a weird situation as manager I'll tell, in their managerial roles, as I'll tell you about in a second. But Jack, firstly, what are we predicting for this? Quite, quite a tough away, away draw, to be honest. Yeah, it actually is. I'm I'm not looking forward to uh to watching us travel to Russia, honestly. It's never easy going to 
going to uh, some of the Eastern European stadiums. Even in Russia, you get very hostile crowds, very kind of intimidating environments. So it seems to be very important how we start and how, how we can try and quiet the crowd down, quiet down the atmosphere. Because if Rostov managed to get the upper hand in the open stages of the game, and it could be a very long, very troubling night for us. I it, it was probably one of the better draws that we could get, honestly. But at the same time, it, the, the travel is a worry, for one. And these aren't going to be any pushovers. The, the Europa League is not going to be a competition where we can just ball, completely ball those teams. Um, and Rostov are not going to be a pushover. So I think it's going to be a tough game over in Russia. Yeah, I mean... At, at home, Rostov has, have been a, a supreme force. And I wouldn't say it's one of the easier ties that we could have got because there were teams like Ajax and, and teams much closer to home and who are actually at home a lesser force than Rostov. Because um, in, in all games, I don't think they've lost since the end of November. Um, the last time they failed to score was in December against PSV Eindhoven, I think. That was in the Champions League. And uh, in the Champions League, they beat Bayern Munich at home 3-2. That's the example everyone's been citing. To get us, they beat Sparta Prague 5-1 on aggregate. Um, 4-0 victory in the first leg. And, and their most recent league match was against Tom Tomsk, not a sat-nav. Um, and they won 6-0. That was on Friday. So they would have had a bit more rest than us and, of course, not had to travel either when we play on Thursday. And, and the, the style of football, um, basic sort of efficient football. Lots of set pieces, or not, not lots of set pieces, using set pieces very well. And defending very solidly, the the kind of team that <laughs> this season we've hated to play. Anyway, I said I, I said I'd tell you about their manager. Weird situation. This Kurban Berdiev left as manager in August. So it, it is now the club's vice president. He controls training, but doesn't control the match. Dmitry Kirachenko manages the team during matches. He's the assistant manager officially, and the official. Manager is Ivan Danny Lianz. So he's the official manager and does everything in the media. So you've got one, one, the club's vice president is doing training, the assistant is managing the matches, and the actual manager is just doing the press conferences. <laughs> so, I mean, no, never come against a, a team like that. Um, Jack, what are we predicting for this game? I'm going to go for a very tough 1 1 draw. I, I don't think it's going to be an easy game at all. I think we're going to find it very tough. I think Rostov are going to try and shut us down in the early stages. Uh, I think we're going to go 1-0 down in the first half. And then we're going to see a Anthony Martial equaliser. Like CSK at Moscow all over again. Yes, exactly. Um, well, I'm, I can't lie. I would, I would quite like a 0-0 draw. Just because I feel like I fear we could lose. Though an away goal for... The travelling Reds would be good and just in general would be good. Um, I'm going to predict, though, a... God, I was about to say a 2-0 loss, but I'm, I'm going to try and be a bit more optimistic. Oh, a 2-1 defeat at Rostov. Um, right, Chelsea. Uh, yet to be confirmed, but Zlatan will be, will be suspended for this game as long as there's some... Not some way of appealing and, and that appeal lasting more than a week, but means a chance for someone up, else to be up front. Uh, we'd hope Marcus Rashford is given a full game up front, as we've said. Um, and let's let's hope Rashford can take advantage of this chance or Martial. Um, very quickly on this, uh, th- I mean, you said Rostov was a was an easy draw. I disagree, but Chelsea FA Cup quarterfinal, Stamford Bridge away is probably the worst draw we could have got. Predictions for this? Yeah, this is definitely the worst draw we could have got. Um, 
I, I'm finding it tough to find much confidence going into this game. Um, Chelsea still in amazing. They've, they've almost gone under the radar recently because everyone just expects them to win now. It's not, it's not even a, a new thing. Um, I think their system will trouble us because I'm not sure we'll be able to, to, to deal with their wing-backs. I think going forward, they'll have too much creativity for us. Um, I just don't think we're, we're at that level yet where we can quite compete with Chelsea. But having said that, at the end of the day, the FA Cup is a... Well, unless it's a replay, it's, a, it's all on one game, you know? So anything can happen. I, I'm going to go for a 2-1 loss. Uh, I was going to be even more pessimistic than that with a 3-1 loss. But, yeah, I'm going for a 3-1 defeat, um, particularly having travelled back from Rostov, although it is on a Monday night, not the weekend, so that gives us an extra day. Now, we got sent a few questions this week. Uh, Liam McMahon asked, what, const- what constitutes success over the remainder of the season? Uh, very quick answer on this, because we we a bit of a long episode this week. Um, what constitutes success? For me, it would be, we've already got one trophy. I'd, <laughs> I mean, it, it's high expectations, but I would... I think we should be winning the Europa League and if we get past Chelsea, we should have a a good stab at the FA Cup. Um, I mean, obviously, European qualification, Champions League qualification is is the what most people base success on. But if we win, if we win the Mickey Mouse treble, I'll be very happy with that. Even if we finish eighth. I'd, yeah, I'd be very happy with that because the Europa League would get us into the Champions League. Um, but yeah, I mean... I think I think most United fans would would agree that top four now is the, is the priority. Um, I, would top four and the League Cup be a successful season? I mean, Probably. if if you're if you're comparing yeah. to Van Hal and Moyes, then then yes, because he failed yeah, to get top true. four yeah, and, and simply got an FA Cup. So yes, I guess yeah. it would be. Definitely yeah, I progress. mean, maybe it's not success, but it's progress. Maybe maybe that's that's how we got to say it. Most important area to be strengthened in the summer. Liam also asks. Oh, um, I, I would say defensively um, for for sure. I think we need to we need some better depth. I think there's a lot of deadwood in in the back that can, that needs to go. Um, I'm Chris Moore. I, I especially, yeah, I especially worry about us at right back. I mean, Valencia has been a revelation this season, but if he were to get injured, I think we we definitely struggle. Darmian is not not up to the level that we need. Um, so yeah, I think defensively we need some big reinforcements and someone, someone, a consistent partner who can partner Eric Bailly every week. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say defensively as well, and we could do with a, another midfielder um, and hopefully get rid of Maron Fellaini, particularly if Michael Carrick is not offered a new contract, which I, I hope he would be. And on a related note, who would you rather sign, Kane or Lukaku? Both of these slightly unrealistic, but um, I'd rather sign Kane purely because I think he's a better player. But Lukaku is also immensely talented however many times people try to write him off um a stunning scoring rate for Everton um and I'd personally I'd rather sign Kane but under Mourinho I think Lukaku is both more likely and would be more effective yeah I think I mean I take either one obviously but I think I I, pre- I prefer Kane I just, I just think Kane's general play is is a higher standard than Lukaku but Lukaku like Lukaku's goal scoring rate is incredible especially for uh, a player of his age, I, I think. I mean, it would take a huge, huge bid to tempt Everton into selling. But I guess if we're willing to part with that kind of money for Griezmann, then why not for the likes of Lukaku and Kane? Yeah, fair point. Anyway, I forgot to say that that question came from Ryan Fisher. Thank you for sending those two in. Um, that's all we have time for on a, on a packed episode of, of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast Series Two, Episode Twenty Eight. 
Um, we've got another season-defining week coming up, like every single week. Uh, but by episode 30, we could be out of two competitions or still on our way to the Mickey Mouse treble. For more from us, follow at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end. Or check out ManchesterUnitedWeeklyPodcast.com. Uh, Jack, where can we find you on Twitter? At UTD Tate's T-A-I-T. And you can find me at, at Harry Robinson 64 Cheers for listening. As always, have a brilliant week. Goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.